Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and this will be our scripture reading, starting from verse 1 to 23. Verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and ear, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Sometimes you just don't know who you are until you are tested. My 
first year in the Sarnia Fire Department was quite an eye-opener, being exposed to all kinds of different emergencies. But for all that it meant to be a firefighter, I had never experienced a serious structure fire. Sometimes uh, I would be on another shift. Sometimes I'd be on vacation and miss it. Sometimes you could have no major fires for months and then have a couple on the same day. That's just the way life is. There's no natural explanation for it. So for over a year, although I had been to many other types of emergencies, I had never experienced the real deal. Some nights at work I'd be waiting on edge for the alert to go off, wondering what would it be like in a serious fire? Would I wash out? Would I do the right thing? Would I let my team down? And until that day came, I would never really know, and it bothered me. Then one cool night in November, almost a year to the day that I was hired, the call came in. It was a pretty major basement fire, and when my crew arrived, we were tasked with our crew to go around back into the back door and into the basement. And so we put our gear on, our protective masks and packs, and grabbed the hose line, and in we went. And immediately, the first thing I experienced was the intense smoke, and I couldn't see my hand in front of my face, followed by the heat. Even though we wore a protective hood, the heat felt like needles in the back of my neck. And then there was the sounds of the thudding and popping of unknown objects exploding in the intense heat below. And to make matters worse, the paint on the steps had become greasy as it started to melt. And here now, in the thick of it all, my test had come. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before your word this morning, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to be receptive to your leading. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is now the third in the series on the parable of the sower. And in the first two, we noted the parable of the sower is not actually about the sower. The imagery of the sower could be representative of any who have put forth the good news of Jesus. The focus of this parable is also not about the gospel message itself. The seed of the good news of Jesus dying for our sins and rising again falls in many places and on many ears. But this parable is not primarily about the seed of the gospel. The parable of the soils, when it comes down to it then, is about the condition of the hearts of men when they hear the good news of Jesus, and either the seed produces fruit, or it does not. The hearer will either surrender to the, their will to the Lord, or they will not. In the first of our series, we looked at the seed that had fallen on the path. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom but does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what has been sown along the path. 
Jesus spoke in parables that was likened to a code, a simple code in the form of a metaphor that baffles those who don't want to break it. This lack of understanding was not a matter of IQ, but of the heart. Jesus would quote Isaiah that the people who were listening had closed their ears. They had closed their eyes. In the second of our series, we saw the power of Jesus in the hard heart. Yes, hearts can be hard, even to the point of crucifying Jesus. Yet Jesus prayed. And as a result, thousands of hard hearts were saved. And this is our hope and our hope for our loved ones that the soils can be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, we're going to look at the seed that fell into the rocky ground. Look to verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched since they had no root. They withered away. Then Jesus gives us the meaning, starting in verse 20. Look there. And for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. This soil type stands in stark contrast with the hard path, the heart that resists the seed of the gospel and leaves it for the demonic crows. Instead, we're met with two descriptive words that look very promising, immediately and joy. Upon hearing the good news of Jesus, the seedling springs up quickly and with exuberance. These individuals love church. They love the outings, the ministries, the social settings, and the programs for their kids. They may even take on ministries for themselves, serving in a wide assortment of ministries, and things are looking good. But not everything is as it seems, and we're told why in verse 21. Yet he has no root in himself. It goes without saying that this is a serious problem. Our roots are a fundamental part of plant survival. They are the underground network used to drop water and nutrients for sustained growth. They are the regulators during the rainy season or the periods of drought. The roots also act as an anchor, keeping both the plant and the topsoil in place during dry winds. And all this to say that without a robust root system, not only will the plant not bear any fruit, its very survival is on the edge of a knife. You'll notice that the next line of verse 21 says, this rootless plant will endure for a little while. But there is a test coming for this surfacy believer that they just won't be able to pass. A test that will reveal the reality of their heart. This test is a specific test. And yes, there can be many difficulties and setbacks for churches, and even a church like ours, with the past few years being no exception. However, the exact type of trouble that the seed planted on the rocky soil will not endure is this. 
the persecution from their society or community on account of God's word. Let's take it from verse 20. As for what was sown on the rocky soil, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Persecuted specifically because of God's word, and the response is swift. Immediately, Jesus says, they fall away. Instantly they spring up, and instantly they wither and die. The Greek word for falls away is scandalizo, and it's where we get our English word to be scandalized. And it's a rich word, full of meaning, has all sorts of connotations, to trip up or offend, to fall away, to make indignant. The King James reads like this, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, by and by he is offended. The sun is hot overhead, Times are tough for this gangly green sprout. And now when trouble and difficult times come on account of God's word, they are shocked and appalled. They are offended and troubled. But not at the hypocrisy and vengefulness of the troublers, but by God's word. When trouble comes on account of their biblical position, they are embarrassed They don't want to be seen with the lesser of society or to be on the wrong side of history. Just recently, on October 5th, there was an article written about a chairman of an elder board who was recently hired because of his history as a CEO to head up a football coach, to head up a team, yet summarily fired once they found out his church background. In in regards to the church's moral teaching, one Australian politician remarked, those views are absolutely appalling. I don't support those views, that kind of intolerance, that kind of hatred, bigotry. It is just wrong. This is the persecution spoken of by Jesus on account of the word. Yet the article goes on to describe that when this chairman of the elder board is confronted with the language of abortion and sexuality from his own church website, he was scandalized. He was offended. Not by the double standard and hypocrisy of his accusers calling their organization inclusive and safe, but by the biblical position of his own church. And when questioned, he responds... I've never heard of these things expressed in my time. I've been on the board two years. I'm not a pastor. My job as a governance role is to make sure it's run well. I don't always agree with what's said. Instead of using 
the opportunity to take a stand for Christ and to share his faith, this chairman's response was to distance himself. It's as if distancing remarks would somehow appease his accusers. Yet the only thing he accomplished was to show his true colors and anger the Lord. In 2018, Calvary Baptist Church in Oshawa took a stand and removed a member for violating their membership with flagrant sexual sin. Not just any moral indiscretion, but one that is currently celebrated by our culture and our society. This individual then went to the press, and the media was all over it, casting the church into poor light, quoting people that stated the church was unloving, unwelcoming, and against what true Christianity should be all about. And a short time later, Calvary Baptist would end up in court. With the sun scorching down on this church, without a doubt, there were those in the congregation who felt this was a good time to leave and go to the church across town. I'm sure those who left had their reasons. I feel our leadership handled it wrong. Our pastors could have been more loving. I don't want people to know I attend such a backwards church. I could get canceled and lose my job by association. Some withering plants will do or say anything to get out of the heat. In this teaching of the rocky soils, there's something important to note here. In both the parable Jesus uses and in life, the sun is not the enemy. The heat of the day is not the problem. The hot sun is life. The hot sun is even expected during the growing season, yet depending on where the plant is taking root, the sun is either life-giving energy or scorching death. Don't blame the sun. The Lord allows life to happen. The problem is not persecution. Persecution is not what is killing this faith of this believer. What is killing this plant is that it has no root. What is withering this believer is that they are not born again. The seed of the gospel message of Jesus has not made it to the heart. This is what makes this rocky soil so terrifying. So joyful and excited over the gospel at first, even serving and enduring for a time. Yet it's superficial. The people who leave their church when trouble and tribulation arrive on behalf of God's word are not just leaving their church, but leaving their faith. To escape the world's ire, they may even attend another church. But in this context, the reality of their heart has been exposed. Underneath this thin layer of topsoil lies a heart of stone.
It looks good on the outside, but right underneath is a rock bed through which no seed of the gospel can penetrate. And just like the hard path, these individuals need to be saved. This is a question for us this morning. Deep down, are you ashamed of the gospel? Has the seed of the gospel been halted by a layer of rock in your heart? There is still hope. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the soil of our heart does not need to stay this way. Surrender and trust the saving power of Jesus. That Christ died and rose again, taking our sin upon himself so that we can have peace with God and our fellow man is not something to be embarrassed by. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen? Amen. So what about those of us who do believe? Those of us who are born of the Spirit, yet we're still concerned about some possibility of upcoming tribulation. Sometimes it can be tough to see a storm coming in with nothing you can do about it. And if you're like me, I've got my weather app out and I'm seeing this big red blotch coming forward and my lightning app has all kinds of dots all over it and the thunder is coming. And for us who know the Lord, as we observe our culture and its moral decline, there can arise a sick feeling in the pit of our stomach as to what might be coming. And as the rhetoric heats up, how do we prepare for this unavoidable test? Well, fighting that basement fire some 20 years ago, my test had come. Would I back out? Would I leave my team? They're all about to be answered. And although bombarded by extremes from without, unable to see, oppressive heat, menacing sounds, what I felt on the inside was altogether different. As I gripped that hose line and made my way into the furnace that was the basement, I wasn't nervous or scared at all, but I was excited. I was focused and determined and actually quite eager to fight that fire. And now there are a handful of factors surrounding this, but foremost among them was that I'd spent the last three years of my life training for that very day. I had trained at the fire college for three years, worked and studied. Fire-related co-ops. Physically, we were pushed to our limits, running more kilometers than I care to remember. Academically, in fire school, they made us learn everything from English 311 to fluid mechanics. And to this day, I'm still not sure why they thought firefighters need to learn calculus, but learn calculus we did. We learned of fire behaviors, flashovers and rollovers, backdrafts of flow paths, conduction, convection, pyrolysis, chemical decomposition. We learned of building construction, water sources, hazardous materials, water attack patterns, reading smoke. 
In the fire tower, we trained with live fire, live burn after live burn. Even once I was hired, the training never ceased. And when that day came, having done everything to stand firm, I was ready. During those three years, there were no shortcuts. There was no learning by osmosis. There was no just sensing how to do the job. There was no show up to class if you like or whenever you're not too busy. This training was a significant time, money, and energy investment. And spiritually, it's no different. Spiritually, it's no different. Yet there exists a mindset that has even crept into my own heart at times. That instead of practicing, living out our faith now while we still can in peace, that instead we have a backup plan. That instead of putting Christ boldly first in every area of our lives with intentional training, we might somehow slip through the cracks and go unnoticed should serious persecution come. There are thoughts of pre-planning how to stay under the government's radar or out of the line of sight of our society when it comes to the gospel. Perhaps we can jump ship right before things get hot and we will be the survivors while the rest of the church flounders under the weight of oppression. This game plan is a poor strategy. In fact, to go down this road is to seal your own spiritual demise. When times get hard spiritually or otherwise, our survival won't depend on how much food or goods we've stored how well we can hide in our basement with our electronics off, or how far we can move up north. The endurance of the saints will first and foremost come from the deep roots of being born again. Then our strength will come from the far-reaching roots of being prepared in our faith. And after this, survival will not come from separating ourselves from other believers, but from the rich root network that has been cultivated over years with other believers in the form of our church family. Survival in difficult times will come from our fellow called out ones who love us and care for us. Our vitality will come from those who pray for us, teach our children give us meals when we are hurting, visiting us when we are sick, and are there for us in difficult times. Don't be so quick to throw away years of built-up relationships for pettiness or for the illusion of staying under the radar. Should you find yourself spending more energy working on an escape plan and in practicing faithfulness, this should be a red flag for you, and you need to reevaluate where you stand with the Lord. 
For those of us who are working toward doing everything stand firm, I'd like to offer a few helpful and hopeful reminders. And the first reminder is this, is that if we are realistic, most of our fears, most of our wild imaginations about so many things never actually come to light. You agree with that? And in that same mind of thinking, if tribulation does come and you have a trained faith, the fear or anticipation of trouble can often be a whole lot worse than the reality. Secondly, as a hopeful and helpful reminder, if your roots are deep and your relationship with the Lord is strong, Scripture teaches that persecution will actually make you stronger. The book of James tells us to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness having its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This persecution will only make your roots stronger. Or when Paul writes the Corinthians saying, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The third reminder is that if you are prepared in your faith, persecution can actually be an opportunity. When Paul was imprisoned in Rome, he stated that it served to advance the gospel so that it became known throughout the whole imperial guard of Rome. Even more, Paul said that the boldness began to spread, saying, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without any fear. Besides, in prison, you may have a captive audience to the gospel. And what was once seen as such a terrifying punishment may even end up being a blessing. True colors often need a test. What will happen for your first real spiritual fire? Will you wash out? Will you do the right thing? Will you let down the name of the Lord in your church family? Are you busy working on an escape plan? Or trusting in the Lord and working hard in preparation for the heat? As I close, I want you to listen to the contrast between the seed planted in the rocky soil that bears no fruit and withers to what Psalm 1 says about the seed of the gospel that is planted well. Listen as I read. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight... His delight 
is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, contemplating and pondering God's word day and night. This is some serious training. And now here is the comparison. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in due season and its leaf does not wither. Let's pray. Lord, your word says that difficult days will come. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, not loving good, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But as for your people, even us here this morning, we ask that we would continue in what we have learned, that we may withstand should we be called to endure trouble on account of your word. And Lord, that we ask that you would be faithful even in difficult days as we are confident that he who began a good work in us will bring it into completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.